And welcome to another episode of The Dice Are Screaming. <gasps> oh, no, they're screaming. All right, yeah, they should be screaming because it's Tuesday. Yes, welcome to the Tuesday episode. Uh, and with no call-ins today, we're going to just leap right onto topic. And it's oh, yeah. a good one. Well, we're going to hold on to that thought, though. We are going to give a little shout-out to some of our Anchorite family. Uh, Eric Tenkar, Tenkar's Tavern, we... Uh, don't get to do a whole lot of call-ins ourselves because we're kind of a two-man show and, you know, one minute is kind of stifling and we listen to a whole different diverse of podcasts and streams. So sometimes it can get a little uh, strenuous to get time together and sit down and give you guys some call-ins, but be looking for us to be making the shout-outs here shortly. So, also, uh, nod of the hat to... Old Man Grognard of Radio Grognard, and of course... Yeah, howdy, Glenn. Yeah, and uh, howdy to you, sir, and also Tim Shorts of Steeply Gothbridge Manor. Yes. And Colin Green of Spike Bait. And Larry over at Follow Me and Die. Oh, yeah, and C. Thorin of Playing It Wrong. Those are all great podcasts, old school and all that. So make sure you pay attention to those folks because they're putting out some fine content and we appreciate all the call-ins when you give them to us. We're going to be trying to show the love here shortly. But as Mike said, <clears throat> we don't have a whole lot to go through, so we hope that you got out and voted today and had a good time while you did it. And if you didn't, well, you know, you're here now with us, so you're stuck. <laughs> ah, yes. Yes, like the dinosaurs wandering into tar. Uh, now you're here, and your bones will uh, join us for eternity. Uh, here in the tar pit of gaming, the dice are screaming. That's right. Oh. <laughs> so what's today's topic? Is it going to be capes and crusaders? Oh, wow. You know, I I hate to hurt you this way, but uh, no, no, it's not. Uh, you, I'll tell you what, though. Need a philosophical adjustment. Okay. Oh, when you were... Abandon all attachment. When you let go of your hope, then your desires will become fulfilled. So, right now you have hope and no. Yeah, you just like to crush it before me. But, well, all right. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to tease me with it, it's like waving a red cape in front of a bull. <laughs> well, you know, it's better than an open kimono. Uh, all right, fair enough. Yeah, nobody likes that waving around. Uh, hey, today we're talking strongholds and soldiers. Oh, what yeah. to do post campaign? What you know? We're talking end games, uh, high level characters, enclaves, uh, tower building, the entire spectacle of late game activity. Could it be gamut? Do oh, we, hey, run the whole gamut. Yes, oh, run the whole right. gamut. The whole gamut. The gauntlet. Oh, yeah, we got the gauntlet. Yeah, and everybody's got a plus three bet. Oh, jeez. So. <laughs> Just my luck. All right. Yeah, but uh, strongholds and followers. Yeah, the, the end game of D&D. Now, uh, you know, we talked a lot about how where things began, and this is one of the oddities where the game, especially AD&D, started reflecting its origin. You took it full circle uh, when you were starting Chainmail, and they were starting to kind of formulate, like, what a dungeon adventure could be, and you know, what heroes, superheroes, and wizards, and all that were meant on the tabletop. Now you could play them as individuals, 
in some parts of the early chainmail rules, and as D&D, of course, fully became formed out of the white box set, you know, became codified that they would also uh, reflect the rules of building a stronghold or castle and taking command of an area in a campaign world. So, you know, the AD&D rules quickly reflected that, the origin, and uh, they codified it a little bit better. But still, it was pretty much the same uh, kind of concept. Well, I, I like that you mentioned that it came full circle, because that is just absolutely true. Uh, the game began with a symbolic leader figurine leading an army of other figurines. You know, this this predates White Box set. You know, just yeah. the, the origin point of D&D &D was that, uh, you know, the leader of a group uh, had more experience and more likelihood to survive than the followers. So, you know, the origin point for a player character eventually came full circle and became incorporated into the end game of AD&D, &D, where after, you know, struggling to become an individual of note, you then acquire lands, title, responsibilities, and troops, uh, or just a merry band of followers willing to uh, travel with you on your adventures. And those are what we're talking about, incorporating those into late-game campaigns then and now. Uh, it's still a terrific concept, and it's still extremely enjoyable for a lot of players uh, if you have an epic little campaign. Although it is a little more management-intensive. Yep. Players need to be ready for that. Yeah, and as, you know, crack open the old player's handbook in first edition, you know, you go through and you look at the various classes, like a cleric at about 8th level can build a church or a place of worship, and they attract followers, but at ninth level, their name level, when they become a high priest or priestess, they have the option of constructing an, a religious stronghold, and they get a whole bunch of fanatical followers, which is unique, but they can also charge nine silver pieces per inhabitants and all that, and, you know, they get a nice tidy stipend. So for your clerics, you know, there's a big reward, either building a temple or building a church, or just going out and, you know, clearing an area and striking out a for or fortress or monastery of their own. And, you know, that was a big perk for playing your clerics. And, uh, of course, the subclass Druid, well, already had its built-in kind of followers that you would acquire at a certain level. Yeah, but, you know, they're stuck in a mud hut with a beaver named Ted. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I gotta pick on the druid. Oh yeah, the unwashed, you know. I never seen the druid uh, wear any shoes, but he always took the footwear off of all the dead. Just never got with that guy. <laughs> but yeah, you know, you look through here, and of course, the mo the one, the big Mac Daddy is the fighter. The fighter who gets, you know, ninth level gets That's the title the of the Lord. You know, you clear out, what is it here, it says uh, 20 to 50 miles. In a stronghold, and you get a whole bunch of hard, high-pitting fighting men. Just not, you're just like, oh, these guys are zero level. Yeah, they're zero level, but, you know, you, got, uh, you run the gamut of, I said it again, of, you know, heavy uh, cavalry all the way down to just a mass of guys with slings and clubs. You know, you could have it all. And uh, Well, yeah, I mean, and zero level is not especially uh, terrifying, but remember that it's the baseline that... Uh, Militia personnel, uh, conscript uh, warriors, uh, people who are just starting out, uh, reflected in game, 
they were not especially powerful. They were only as powerful as you made them by kitting them out really well at your own expense. Uh, do you feel like buying 200 suits of splint mail? Well, then your guys are going to be pretty tough. Yep. Uh, if you decide that uh, that leather armor they came with is good enough, eh, expect a bad monster encounter to cut through them like a hot knife through butter. Uh, that's on the player. Yeah, and even though you commanded these followers, the real thing was is commanding territory and guarding uh, trade or villages or whatever you, you're developing in that area. And it was all up to you as the player. And this is where the game kind of became shifted more from just a passive experience with you adventuring into whatever dungeon or episode of adventures that your DM had crafted. Now you began to kind of take shape of your own destiny. And that was the fun thing about getting to name level. Now, uh, just going to briefly touch here about rangers were a, a, a particularly bindly group. You know, you could get something from werebears to a group of bounties to, you know, some leveled henchmen. And, uh, oh, yeah, you got the merry band of oddballs yeah. uh, as the ranger. It just there was no way to be sure what kind of collection of adventurers were going to hang out with you in the woods like Robin Hood and his merry men. Yep, and, you know, then you can go to the Magic User Illusionist, and they can build a tower, and, you know, uh, they can attract weird followers, like, you know, a doppelganger or a mimic may show up. How does a mimic show up? That, you know, one day you go down and sit down in your favorite chair, and it's like, hey! Hey, hey, I came here to negotiate. <laughs> or... <laughs> <laughs> and then all the way to the thief and the assassin with their uh, constructing guilds, and, of course, the if you constructed your new fortress or hideout in the city already with the uh, Thieves' Guild or Assassin's Guild in the area, well, it's instant gang war. Yeah, that, that was the thing that we touched on last week mm -hmm. with uh, Thieves and Assassins, is that for the most part, if you're looking to create a guild, you've got to go somewhere that doesn't have one, or kill whoever is in your way and take one over. Yeah. Because it's very much, uh, you know, like you... <laughs> You gotta take Negan out before you get to run the group. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and he's packing Lucille, so it's it's bad business. Uh, you know, don't as a DM make the local guild a bunch of slouchers. You want a well organized, well run guild from which the character might have ultimately graduated. Uh, and when they reach those top tier levels and they're eyeballing power. Uh, don't be a cushy DM. Don't don't be a giveaway guy. Uh, understand that any highly experienced rogue who is in charge of their guild is going to know that you're approaching high level as a PC and will have given some consideration to whether he's looking at competition or not. That he's expecting that knife to come. One of oh, these yeah. days. So, <laughs> uh, let's not just hand it off to the PCs. Uh, that's the tough one for the Rogue. Um, yeah, this is where the game started to change a lot, too, because now the DM had to spend more time individually with the players, and this often started uh, small one-off, one-on-one campaigns or sessions with players starting to construct strongholds. And, of course, the player could still use the player character to go adventuring with the other group if they weren't interested in certain things. Or sometimes uh, several player characters would pool the resources 
and all come together. A wizard would build and a tower. And that reminds me, which, good point. Uh, when a high-level party wants to leave behind their domains, respect their respective uh, domains, and go adventuring, they're basically abdicating their responsibilities for whatever period of time they're gone. Uh, a tough DM, or I, I wouldn't even say tough, but uh, in a, a scrupulous DM, will expect those players to have staff that are capable of taking care of their property and their responsibilities. And if the players have made no effort whatsoever uh, to maintain or select appropriate staffing, you are completely entitled to screw up their private domains. Yep. Come home and find everything stolen. Uh, or squandered and moved off. Oh, boy. Yeah, that the cat, you know, the, the fourth level rogue I hired as a gastelane. <laughs> uh, Your first mistake. Yeah. Yeah, just took the petty cash and fled. Yep. Uh, along with some of your better pieces of furniture and art. <laughs> he knew what that blood birch armoire meant to me. <laughs> he really did. He knew how to hurt me. <laughs> right where to hurt me. Uh, uh, yeah, but, yeah, and so the game uh, took on a new direction as you reached these name levels. Now, it didn't mean that the end of all things, you know, you were... It was more of a change of course than, like, well, now we're just retiring and settling down. It could mean that, yes, of course. But it didn't mean that your characters were um, set off to pasture. You were just out in the middle of nowhere doing nothing. There are many things that could still involve you. But a lot of times, if you were, especially if you were playing a fighter with a large military force and you are on a contentious border, you may not want to just go kick around a dungeon when you have a serious costs to maintain. And also, as Mike just pointed out, there's a lot of hirelings like armorers, sages, and other types of expert NPCs that you have to hire, maintain, and keep in good standing in order to keep everything running smoothly. And that requires a little bit of administration, but, hey, it's not, you know, papers and paychecks, but it is a bit of administrative detail that needs to be given. Yes. And, and as long as the player is willing to go for that, you know, things will run fairly smooth. I was about to add that, indeed, it is the player's responsibility, and they had better be ready to bring out more paper and pencil time. Uh, because it is not... It may... In, Back to be the DM's responsibility to help create these things. Uh, when a player has achieved a certain level, you help facilitate the process of getting henchmen and things like that. However, the proper maintenance of them, uh, the remembering of their statistics, their equipment, uh, their properties and holdings, that should be annotated by the player, and they should keep accurate records. Yeah, but the benefit is is that owning a piece of land makes you above most common folk, and you're not subject to many of the laws as you once were. You if, well, yeah, yeah, you don't get taxed every time you cross a bridge anymore. Yeah, you're the one doing the tax. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, technically, yeah, it's your bridge. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're the one doing it now. Everybody else is paying a copper per axle or you know per four feet. <laughs> yep. So you're the one taking the uh, heat for all that too. And, and of course, the other part is, is that if a player gets out of line and starts to become egregious or greedy in their taxation, well, peasant mobs. Yeah. Uh, also, <laughs> once again, it's 
It's within the DM's rights to use the overbearing and mob rules. Mm. <laughs> oh, there's nothing like being flanked. Uh, yeah. Overborn by 10 zero-level commoners. Ugh. Angry ones, too. <laughs> and they always bring pitchforks and torches. No one knows why that's the main... Who arm. had that much hot tar and chicken feathers just laying around uh, the barn? Obviously, these guys were planning this. I'm yeah. saying it was a conspiracy. It, that's right. <laughs> but, you know, whether you're doing a rogue starting a, a small thieves' guild trying to horn in the action or establishing a new frontier as a fighter lord, it doesn't matter. These are fun things to do, and... They add a little depth to the campaign and also let the player develop it. And, you know, the other part is, is what do you do? When do these followers show up? You know, when you, you know, the cleric says, okay, I'm going to build a fortress monastery in the hinterlands to aid with the travel of pilgrims to and from these holy areas. Well, that's when they start showing up. After you start clearing and building the area, people become attracted to a powerful and noteworthy adventurer who now is settling an area. And hopefully those deeds that you did before carry with you. Yeah, I want to recommend one technique, which is uh, when the process of clearing land begins, uh, consider offering to the player an opportunity to hire a large group of people to go with him. Then, out of that group of hirelings that are there, like clearing land and assembling the place, you can explain that certain among them eventually choose to stay. Uh and asked to remain in their service. Yeah, but mercenaries and looking for a more permanent um, place to hang their hat and also seek gainful employment, more steady. We'll also start flocking to the banners and all that. Calls can be put out, criers and others can increase the odds of finding more followers. Now, again, you know, these are all things that the player can do to help facilitate this, but the DM is beholden after a while to just start having followers show up. And how you adjudicate that can help make it poignant. Or it can just be as simple as, okay, here's what I rolled up for you for your followers. Now go to it. <laughs> you know, it's what's going to work best for you. And that's from first and second edition adjudication. But it also works out with, uh, you know, you can use those tables in even new school. Oh, absolutely. None of this is non-transferable. Yeah. Uh, because the game certainly makes room for zero level or first level... Uh, you know, hench persons, hirelings, things like that. Uh, much of that has been incorporated into the newer version of the game, although I think a little bit has been lost in translation. The emphasis is not as strong on it anymore, and I don't agree with that. I, I think that it's something that could be more invested in, uh, but the farther we get away from the origins of D&D &D and its tabletop miniature basis... Uh, the more we've kind of drifted into dungeon adventure template instead of, uh, you know, armies and uh, warfare template. So there's, there's been a little bit of generational drift from the, the oldest school version. But you can bring all of that back. There is nothing in the new editions uh, or in the al alternative and differing editions of uh, 3.5 style games like Pathfinder... There's nothing in them that prohibits any of this, and any DM can phase this into place in their own campaign, and I actually encourage them to do so. Well, I would beg to differ on a certain part, because I think with um, certain campaigns and adventure paths, it's what the players want to do. If the players really want to start a stronghold, I've seen in multiple uh, 
adventure paths from Rise of the Rune Lords all the way through, of course, the most easiest to incorporate Kingmaker. You know, fortresses and strongholds are given out, and it's up to the players what to do with them. Now, some will want to be, you know, wanderers, am I, uh, near-to-do-well adventurers and vagabonds, whatever you want to call them, murder <laughs> hobos. Um, sorry, I was waiting for you to jump on that one. But what, what the newer editions have done is, you know, you could start, say, building a fortress and stronghold at third level. I'm sorry, I was busy securing the kimono. Oh, good. I'm, well, you know, Chuck Dorn will be happy to hear that. Um, yeah, you can start this at really any level. Uh, you know, getting a stronghold or group of followers together with uh, the leadership feat can begin as early as seventh. So you can really start uh, on putting nailing your shingle to the wall early on and start with a really small area with a few loyal people that maybe you helped or came to your aid in, in the version of Kingmaker, it starts at third level, you start uh, kind of putting together a, the beginnings of a small fort. You, know, mm. you kind of inherit a little area that can be built up and it takes a while. So you'll be doing other things and gaining levels and then of course you get access to that golden feat. The, he who gets the leadership feat gets the uh, title of Lord, of course. but. Again, this is as much as what you want to, the players want to invest into it. If they just want to kind of let somebody else do it, and uh, they just hang back and kind of help the power, be the power behind the throne or the architects of this new frontier, that's fine too. But again, as Mike said, you know, nothing stops you from incorporating these things in any game. Anytime players come across an abandoned fortress that they've liberated, uh, maybe it's been overrun by ogres or monsters or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's a foundation already in place. You can restore it to its former glory, uh, expand upon it, uh, use yeah. it as a like point A to spread out from, and, you know, mount excursions to purge the area of particularly dangerous monsters uh, until people feel comfortable settling there once again. And once you've got people settling there, you've got the inevitable tax base that yeah. uh, helps support it. Because, and then let's can... face it, building and repairing a castle is a monumentally expensive proposition. Yeah. And those followers don't come for free. Only the cleric gets free followers. Yeah, they're devout. They just need room and board. Everybody they come else with their own weapons, pay. and yep, they will, they will take care of themselves. You still have to hire armors and uh, smiths and all that, but hey, the point is, is that they're doing this for... A higher calling um, with say like in uh, Kingmaker where you have to still even though you have the leadership feat you know you may have two three hundred uh, warriors devoted to your cause you still have to pay them that's right you still have to pay them and that's the big thing is that's where taxation comes from and then what is the other thing building a fortress and stronghold oh boy now oh, nothing yeah. can be more fun than designing your own castle and I'll, I'll be honest with you it's something I like to do and I've had a lot of fun with, uh, over the years of designing various ones and looking at historical archetypes. Oh, yeah. I have based my, my new castle on Neuschwanstein. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Star Castle, yeah. <laughs> All right, and, and for background on that one, since I did promise to deliver context, uh, Neuschwanstein is uh, a European castle. What was that, uh, Austrian? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's way up on a mountain. It is an unassailable fortress, like, high in the mountains. And what it takes simply to have constructed it is nothing less than a miracle. You know, it was just mind-shatteringly beautiful and expensive. 
and difficult to achieve. So it's, it's considered kind of a world history piece. Uh, look up New Schwanstein. It's yeah. uh, N-E-U, not the, the yeah. uh, English New, but uh, N-E-U German New Schwanstein. Yeah, Castle of... Yeah, it's a star-based keep, which means it has the five classic sides, but it's really hard to take. Anyhow, but yeah, you can do some of those, some of the Maltese castles of the well that were classic. built. Yep, you know, the Barbican and uh, Glacius fortified walls, all the way up to looking at the examples of Constantinople. History's ripe with it, as well as fantasy literature. Casterly Rock or Minas Tirith provide great examples. I want flying buttresses! Flying! They, they don't really fly, they... <laughs> I, I well, why would they call them that? Why do my buttresses not fly? Well, your butt may be flying in a minute here, but I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, you know, but building a castle is a lot of flipping fun. I'm just going to say that out loud. And uh, I was never good at the actual process of drafting, so mechanical drawing and things like that were not as easy for me. Uh, but I did like the sitting down and. You know, looking at the budgetary constraints, you're like, all right, yeah. I really soaked that dragon. You know, that, that last adventure we got, I'm really loaded up, man. I'm high level. I got like 35, 40,000 gold laying around. Where can I put it that's really going to get banged for my buck? And then I had to select carefully from the DM guy. Oh, no, if I go that thick with the stone, I'm going to be out of money by Tuesday. No, no. Uh, but if I go this thin, oh, it's going to be like paper. Anybody with an onager is going to knock this thing down in a cool minute. Ah. Yeah, yep. you start looking at those siege charts, man. You start get sweating it, don't you? Yeah. And that's really what it's meant to do. Is it? You know, there's the great balance of European castle building right in a nutshell right there. You know, cheap does not mean great, but maybe right now beats not, uh, something really great. 15 years from now. You know, you just wait. 15 years. This castle's going to... Oh, man. You guys are just... Oh, I'm overrun by the Mongols. Doggone it. <laughs> yeah. I, well, <laughs> if you ever uh, see pictures of the uh, Castle Sorby in Scotland, oh. uh, it's the ruins left over of uh, uh, my most distant ancestors uh, long before we were Americans. Uh, we were Scottish who... <clears throat> rather suddenly became Irish post-War of the Roses. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but the, the wreckage of Castle Sorby can be seen. And it, it is something of an example of an unattended, you know, uh, Mott and Bailey, you know, fort uh, on top of a hill. You know, they just took some high ground and put a pile of stones up there. Uh, in true Scottish fashion, they were a little on the cheap side, so it didn't really last. But Yeah, you know, but again, then you have to make those decisions, you know. Castles are built over a period of time. They're not built all at once from the ground up. Very few of them had the luxury of that. And that usually meant a time of extended peace and prosperity. So, you know, that's something to take into consideration, how much you want to follow actual history. And, and it depends a lot on your campaign and the political style that your campaign or the where this castle or fortress is going to be built. Yeah, you know, I actually want to make a side note, which is for other endgame techniques that do not necessarily involve castle acquisition or uh, manufacturing, there is another route, uh, which is to assume political positions within the pre-existing strata. Oh, yeah. Which can include the management of a pre-existing estate in town uh, or the occupation of a palace that is already present. Uh, you know, the assumption of 
uh, secondary leadership roles. Like, sure, okay, you're in the capital city and the emperor's palace is there, but you wind up with a palatial estate as a lord in the service of the emperor. Uh, you know, you wind up with a title and specific responsibilities over troops uh, and are responsible for the hiring, training, and kitting out of X number of soldiers, which you will be expected to put to work uh, for your emperor. These are all viable options. Likewise, a mage can be instructed, you know, here is a writ. Uh, here, this plot of land has been granted to you. However, you are expected to go clear it, build and assemble a tower, uh, and then... Cast know, fireballs from it repeatedly <laughs> until all the orcs run away. Yes, and, and when the area is thoroughly scourged, mm. uh, <laughs> when not a single blade of grass grows without a shudder of fear, then, then you may begin to serve your lord. Uh. <laughs> yep, so there's a lot of things, too. You've been granted uh, in a pre-existing castle. You know, oh, it was overrun by... Uh, Hobgoblins a couple of years ago, but we haven't been able to clean it. Clean you take it. it back, it's yours. Yep. And that's a grand old tradition, too. So, you know, whatever your play style is, how much your players want to invest into it, some of them, it's a lot of hassle, but it is also a great reward. It's not just a place to put your stuff when you're not using it. It's also a place to project power from, seek safety and solace, and also rule. Oh, yeah, you can have your safe room in there where, you know, <laughs> yeah, the limitless hordes are approaching. Uh, mage, uh, trigger that, uh, undetectable room. Yep. <laughs> We're just gonna hide out in the basement and then creep back out when things look safe again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Who but, ticked off the assassin cult? Oh, man. Yeah, those guys. The whole building's full of Kenku murder hobos. Oh, Kenku. Don't get me started. But yeah, we wanted to just touch base on followers and, uh, strongholds, because it's a lot of fun, and I think that you know, like Mike said, in the new school, I think, yeah, some people have drifted away from it, but I don't think it's willful. I just think that's just the way, the nature of the beast. Oh, yeah, I blame it mostly on time, is that we are talking about a gap of like 40 plus years here, okay? Uh, any meaningful generation in this era happens within 10 years. The things yeah. that, are, that are culturally relevant to you shift every 10 years. So, you know, in 40 freaking years... Uh, meaningful, cultural, relevantly uh, issues in gaming have altered so quickly that people entering the game now uh, in high school, you know, like say they're uh, 15, uh, they will have a notably different experience and expectations than the people who are 25, than the people who are 35, than the people who are 45. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, and... I should also throw in 55, because, you know, that takes you back to your protean dawn of gaming gamers. Yeah, that's where uh, I'm starting to creep on, too. Oh. You know, we're on the way. Uh, yeah. We're in that little intermediate zone, but, uh, you know, we're we're end of 70s, dawn of 80s gamers. So, castle building and that, you know, that was a big thing that we noted right out of the first edition AD&D books. Uh, and we were hip to it. It's a little less emphasized now, but it's not gone. It right. is there, and I'm just, you know, I yeah, bring that up because I don't believe that it's an intentional slight, but I do believe that DMs now, if I put the word out there and, and you know, hope that people talk about it, that that'll come back into style and there'll be more of it and more supplements and things well, like yeah, that. Well, yeah, like the Kingmaker computer game has just uh, hit the market, and that uh, encapsulates the whole Kingmaker castle builder, what oh. I was just talking about, you know, where you build it in stages. Oh, you know, 
so I did know, not know of this. Yeah, the Kingmaker game is out there, and it's a lot of fun. So, you know, hopefully that does put that in people's minds. That oh, hey, I I liked the uh, oh was it uh, the Dragon Age Origins? Uh, no, it was right after that. You wound up with command of a fortress. And you had to carefully weigh expenditures and send out troops and patrol roads. Uh, and you had to upgrade materials into armor and things like that. Oh, man. Who thought rulership was this much of a drag? Why did anybody do this? Yeah. Man. Holy cats. Every time I come back here, all it is is like a bunch of little markers over everybody's head telling me i got to go talk to them. Ah, <laughs> oh, who knew there was going to be this much talking? Oh. Yeah. The last two years of game time kicking every monster in the butt did not prepare me for having to talk with the uh, castle stewards. <laughs> like, ah, oh, what do you mean the Chancellor of the Exchequer wants to talk to me again? I keep, I literally, I'm throwing gold at this guy in sacks. <laughs> <laughs> Money, shut up! He's scurrying off into the corner with it as fast as I can haul it home. I'm bringing the swag back in boxcars and he's still ringing the bell for more. I just throw money at it until this problem solves itself. <laughs> so, you're telling me there's no more dragons left to kill? Oh, cripes, I'm going to go broke. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, the, we just wanted to talk about that because it's a big thing. And like Mike said, that when we first started, you know, just the idea of like carving out your own place and putting your own stamp on the wilderness out there. Now it's like... And it's, you name it. You know, it's, it's your... Sir Randy Dumb, and you know, <laughs> or what was it? I had Duke, for... Duchy of Awesome <laughs> and my Fortress of Kickass, <laughs> the Yarldom of Badass. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, that was the allure. You know, you got to basically you were the star of the show for once. You know, you don't want to like having to bow your knee to, or bow your head and bend the knee to some piss ant in a robe. Now, you were the one. Calling the shots. Well, at least that's what you thought. And then you got in there and you were like, man, this is a lot of work. Yeah, you're, <laughs> the, the king is far away, so you don't spend all your time, uh, you know, uh, wa walking the carpets at court. Uh, you spend most of your time in your own place leading your own people where you're the boss. That was a lot of fun. That was There was some merit to that. Yeah. Uh, but oh, uh, that brings it. We've wasted another perfectly good half hour. Oh, yeah. Well, shame on us. Well, hopefully it wasn't wasted. We spent it with you guys. Uh, all ten of you out there, you know, we thank you for tuning in and listening to us. And keep that applause coming, guys. Thanks a lot for all your support and commentary. Righto. But uh, I think that's going to round us out until Friday. So thanks for spending your election night eve with us. And hopefully you enjoy it more than possibly the outcome will be. But uh, we'll all see you soon. And keep in good health and good spirits, yeah. everybody. We'll be back Friday. So... Catch up with us then. Until then, may the, the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.